Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes. With Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com, I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how a fever helps you get better, what frogs have to do with the history of pregnancy tests, and a potential breakthrough in the shockingly complicated traveling salesperson problem. Let's satisfy some curiosity. You probably know that getting a fever is your body's way of fighting off illness. But here's something surprising. It wasn't until recently that scientists understood how fevers actually help you get better. So here's the story of how that happened. The part that was best understood was how fevers start. When a virus or bacterium invades your cells, immune cells called macrophages gobble up the invaders and send out proteins called cytokines to alert the rest of your body that you're under attack. One place that alert goes is to the hypothalamus. That's a part of your brain that controls body temperature, among other things. The hypothalamus is the one that stokes the fires of fever. But why? Well, for a long time, people assumed that higher temperature made it harder for bacteria and viruses to survive. That's what I thought. But that turns out to be a small part of fever's power. Another soldier in the fight against infection is the lymphocyte, or white blood cell. Versions of this cell, called T-lymphocytes, receive pieces of the invader proteins from the macrophages and use them to target and destroy the infection. They move to where they're needed with the help of molecules called integrins, which help them stick to blood vessels they use to travel to the infection. They're basically hitching a ride. Well, it turns out that both infection-fighting T-lymphocytes and the integrins that help them get where they're going do much better in toasty temperatures. A 2011 study found that virus-infected mice that had their body temperature raised produced more of a certain type of T-lymphocyte that infected mice that stayed at normal temperature. And a 2019 study found that fever boosts a protein that helps more integrins cluster on the surface of the lymphocyte, which helps it move more efficiently. And interestingly, this protein only kicked in at a temperature of 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.5 degrees Celsius, the kind of temperature that would probably leave you bedridden for the day. Just goes to show how helpful a fever really is. Now, if your fever is high, you should consult a doctor who may tell you to take something to reduce it. But if not, maybe write it out. Just know there's a war going on inside you, and do what you can to help the good guys win. Today, pregnancy tests are simple and reliable devices you can buy from your local drugstore. But it hasn't always been that way. Modern pregnancy tests only became widely available in the 1960s. But they were definitely an upgrade from the frogs we used before. Yeah, you heard me right. The first widely available pregnancy test was a frog. In 1930, a British scientist was performing the scientific equivalent of throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. In his case, messing with a frog's various glands and hormones to learn what he could about human hormones. The scientist's name was Lancelot Hogben, which I'm sure is a name Cody's definitely going to steal for his next D&D campaign. Level 4 Paladin. Got it. <laughs> Hogben was a zoologist who had just returned from South Africa, which explains why this particular study amphibian was Xenopus, a.k.a. the African clawed frog. Back in the UK, he was able to continue his work with his favorite study species. Anyway, our story really begins the day he decided to inject hormones from an ox's pituitary gland into one of his frogs. When he did this, something strange happened. 
the frog laid eggs. In fact, this happened every time he did it. Hogman knew that the pituitary gland is involved in regulating pregnancy. In humans, that's thanks to a hormone it produces called human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG. He wondered if this pregnancy hormone was what made the frog lay eggs. So he injected the frog with urine from a pregnant woman, and sure enough, the frog laid eggs. That changed everything. From the 1930s until the invention of the modern pregnancy test, a woman who suspected that she might be pregnant would go to a doctor and provide a urine sample. That urine would be injected into the skin of an African clawed frog, and reliable results would arrive that day. These so-called frog tests became an industry standard worldwide. The test seems barbaric by today's standards, but as far as animal-based pregnancy testing goes, it was pretty safe. Other pregnancy tests that used animals always required killing them, so the fact that the frogs could be injected many times without causing any obvious harm was a huge step up. Eventually, simpler animal-free tests for HCG in urine became standard, and in the 1970s, the first home pregnancy tests hit drugstore shelves. By then, the frog test had croaked. But it's still pretty unforgettable. Well, they were totally important to the history of pregnancy tests. Like toad, like T O A D, like the animal, like that, like it's the like animal. Frog? It's like the frog. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool, good, good talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really committed to that one. Oh, <laughs> we need. We really need to go on. Yeah. Computer scientists may have made a breakthrough in a math problem that's been unsolved for nearly 200 years. I'm talking about the traveling salesman problem, also known as the traveling salesperson problem, and it's a lot more complex than you might think. We explained the problem on an episode of Curiosity Daily in 2019, so here's a quick refresher in case you missed it. If you've ever been on a cross-country road trip, the traveling salesman problem should feel familiar. If you have a given number of cities... What's the most efficient route you can take to visit each city and land back where you started? It may sound like an easy problem to solve, especially if you have a computer. Just check the distance of every round trip route possible and the shortest one is your answer, right? But think about it. If you're only dealing with, say, five cities, that's 12 round trips to check. Once you add more cities, those round trips skyrocket. A trip between 10 cities has more than 180,000 routes. A trip between 15 cities has more than 43 billion. With enough cities, the number of routes to check could easily overwork the most powerful computers. That way of solving the problem is known as the naive solution, for perhaps obvious reasons. In the 1970s, mathematician Richard Karp published a paper calling the problem NP-hard, which means there will never be an algorithm to solve it. A few algorithms have been developed or proposed to figure out which routes are more efficient than others, but not to solve for the single most efficient one. This nearly two-century-old problem still has plenty of mystery for experts to uncover. Just another example of a deceptively difficult problem. Okay, so the leading computer algorithm to solve this problem was developed in 1976 by mathematician Nikos Christofides. His algorithm won't necessarily find the best trip, but it can find round trips that are at most 50% longer than the best round trip. So a lot of computer scientists agreed that nobody would ever be able to find a better algorithm. 
And that was true for 44 years. But just last year, a graduate student and two advisors at the University of Washington proposed an algorithm that they say can do a little bit better. And I mean a little bit. Their proposed solution beats Christophides' 50% factor by 0.2 billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a percent. That might seem insignificant, especially since it took them two years to finalize the 80-page paper that explains their findings. But experts say this is still a huge deal because it tests the limits of efficient computation. We don't have time to dig deep into the actual math involved, but you can find a link in today's show notes to a great write-up in Quanta magazine with all the details. And we should note that Quanta reports the paper itself is yet to be peer-reviewed, but that, quote, experts are confident that it's correct, unquote. Really, the big takeaway here is that sometimes research moves forward in baby steps, but even the tiniest finding can make a world of difference. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that a fever helps you get better, not just because bacteria and viruses don't thrive that well at high temperatures, but also high temperatures help your white blood cells travel to the spots that they're needed where they can fight the infection. Just remember to talk to your doctor if your fever is high, because you don't want to let that last if it's harmful. It's definitely possible to have too much of a good thing. And if your fever is really raging, you could always get a prescription for more cowbell. That is, that's... Dated? Very dated? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> a very dated reference? That's fine. <laughs> we also learned that the first reliable and widely available pregnancy test was literally a frog. The African clawed frog would lay eggs if injected with a hormone called human chorionic gonadotropin, Imagine walking into a drugstore and having to buy that over the counter. You know, because they did the same thing at the time with rabbits. But like we mentioned, they actually had to kill the rabbit and look at its ovaries to see if they were enlarged to know if the urine was from a pregnant woman. But at the time, that's why people would say we killed the rabbit as a way to say I'm pregnant. Whoa. Yeah. Every so often you'll hear that these days, but it's it's not very common. Yeah. And this is just a continuation of a longstanding tradition of women peeing on things to figure out whether they're pregnant. I mean, really, the earliest documented folk pregnancy test came from the ancient Egyptians who would just urinate on barley and see if it sprouts. But in this case, HCG makes it so barley doesn't sprout. And so if the barley didn't sprout, then you were pregnant. And an experiment in the 1940s actually found that that works 70% of the time. So pretty good odds. Wow. We also learned that the traveling salesperson problem asks you to calculate the shortest round trip route between a list of cities when you're given the distances between each pair of cities. And it took 44 years before researchers found a way to improve on it. And that was only by 0.2 billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a percent. But hey, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So like, baby steps. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hamer, Cameron Duke, and Cody Goff, that's me, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Plan your next road trip. I know you're going to want to take one after we're all vaccinated. And then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.